0: Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. So I want you to think for a minute. In How many of y'all have been to Walmart and Enterprise? Okay, yeah, that was a dumb question, I know. You ever been to Walmart Enterprise, you drive in, and, um, you know, there's that, that stop sign that's there, and you can keep driving straight, or you can make a left turn. And by the way, nobody ever does that right anyway, because they think they just, just drive all day. They think you're going to stop, and you don't stop, you turn left, and they almost run, you slap over. But usually over in that section right there, over the past few weeks, I've noticed there's been two different individuals who've been standing there with signs, cardboard signs, asking for money. Have you ever noticed that? Ever seen those? I have a friend of mine that pastors in Pensacola, and he told me that if you get off on his exit in Pensacola, that there are always a group of men standing there with signs begging for money. And he told me that that's a little society, that they literally, those guys will not let another panhandler who they do not know go in that spot. That's like their jurisdiction, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, what what I'm trying to say is this. You know, we are always going to have in our midst, I think, like Jesus said, the poor will always be with us. But there's always going to be people who are going to be sitting around with signs begging. You know, some, some will hold up a sign, we'll work for food, you know, um, until you tell them to work. And then uh, there's some who will say, you know, homeless, you know, need shelter or something. You know, there's always these kinds of signs that are being held up. Well, you know, the Bible is true. Solomon was so true when he wrote 4,000 years ago that there's nothing new under the sun. In our text today in the book of Acts, as we're continuing to look at the series, Jesus builds his church, there's going to be a guy who's going to be a panhandler, who's going to be a beggar, and we're going to look at that in Acts 3. Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus is building his church. We've looked at all the basic principles of how he is doing that over the past six weeks. Today, we're going to sort of do something a little different. We're now going to see how the church takes those principles and puts those principles into everyday practice as a church. Because here's the reality, church. Listen, whenever Paul wrote to us and other churches, when he wrote, oftentimes Paul would give us some very deep theological truths But he would always come back at the end of an epistle, and he would say, now here's what you do with it. This is how you apply the truth that I've been telling you about. And here's the reality for us as a church. We can look at all those basic principles in the beginning of the book of Acts in chapter 1 and chapter 2. We can talk all day long about the fact that God will empower us through the Holy Spirit, that God has commissioned us through the Great Commission, we can talk about how we ought to love one another and how that's a great example for the world out there. And we can talk about fellowship and we can talk about all the things that we've talked about. But if we never put into practice what we've talked about, then all it has become is head knowledge. All has become is something, listen, by which we're going to be accountable to that we're not doing. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be held accountable for something, I'm going to do it. That's why as your pastor, I lead. Why? Because if I'm going to be accountable to God one day and I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to give an accounting of the ministry of this church from the day I came in here, June 18th of, uh, when was that? I don't remember, oh, 08, uh, the day I came in here to the day I leave. I'm going to give an accounting to Jesus one day of what's happened in this church, whether good or bad. I'm going to give an accounting of that as the leader of the church. Now, I don't know about you, but that's that's kind of a scary thing. To know that I'm going to stand before Jesus one day, I'm going to give an accounting of y'all. Uh, so I'm going to lead. If that's the case, then I might as well lead. Amen? Because if i won't get in trouble, at least I'm going to get in trouble here rather than there. Amen? Because, I, I, you know, I'm not afraid of man. I'm afraid of God because, you know, he can put my soul in hell if he chose to do so. Praise God, he, he won't do that. He promised me I'm his. I'm I'm, I'm, in the hollow, listen, I'm in the hollow of his hand. Who can snatch me away? There ain't nobody. Amen? I can't even do it myself if I wanted to. Paul said, I wish I could become anathema for the sake of the Jews. Impossible, can't happen. So before I lose my place and start chasing rabbits, listen, when we begin to think about the church, we have to begin to practice. So here we'll be beginning in chapter three and following throughout Acts, we begin to find the church putting into practice the very things that God has told them to do, that Jesus has begun to do. So today we're going to look in this text, we're going to look at the first miracle. I first entitled this message, A Mesa, or a Miracle and a Message. And, and if we get that far, praise God. If not, you know, I, I figured you probably couldn't sit through 12 pages of notes this morning. And so I sort of culled it down to verses 1 through 10. So look at this beggar who's sitting at this temple. And notice what happens in the text, beginning in verse 1. Now Peter... And John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So three times a day the Jews would pray. Here is the the latter part of the day, the end part of the day, and they're going up to pray. And we notice, and, and I said to you last time, we talked about the principles of prayer, that the early church did not neglect the principles of praying together. Even though they went up in this mass into the temple, they didn't forget to go in to pray. Amen? And so we ought to be praying people. And so here's Peter and John. They're going up at the end of the day and they're going to make this time of prayer. And it says in verse two, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb, underline that, was carried. And it says that um, whom they laid, that is whoever his friends were, or whoever laid him there, they laid him daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. And by the way, if you look, that's to the Eastern side of the temple. And uh, going up, that would be a main thoroughfare into the temple, into the court of worship. And so they would lay him in a prime place of real estate. So he can have a lot of people coming by that hopefully those who are going up to worship. And by the way, panhandlers know how to do it. Beggars know how to do it. There's been times over my years of ministry that I've shown up at church and there have been people who are begging for money at uh, at church time. They're not stupid. Amen. They know that that's when most people are going to be there. They're getting out of their cars in the parking lot. And so they're going to beg for money. So a lot of people have done that in the past. Now, it sounds like I'm a little down on beggars. I'm not trying to be down on beggars. I'm just a little skeptical at times because there's been times in my ministry that I've been, you know, really foolish and helped beggars. And I'd rather err on the side of helping, by the way, than the other side of not doing anything. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I've helped a lot of people in a lot of situations that I was sort of sketchy on, but I did anyway because I felt led of God to do that. But listen, you know, I'm not down on beggars. I'm just trying to say that Here, this is sort of the motif of beggars. This is how beggars do things. And so notice he says, they go up to the temple, to the place called Beautiful. There's this guy sitting there, and he's there at the temple. In verse 3, he says, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. So here comes these two apostles coming by. Hey, we need. I need money. Will you help me? Will you help me? Give me money. And then verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him, that is Peter fixing his eyes on the beggar with John, Peter said, look at us. And he says, so he gave them his attention expecting something, right? Receiving something from them. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And so he leaping up. There you go. Listen to that leaping up, (laughs) stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Verse 10, then they knew it was he who sat begging for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Here it is, a beautiful text, a miracle taking place. The first miracle, by the way, not in the New Testament, obviously we know, not in the Bible, but here the first miracle taking place in this new thing called the church. The church is born at Pentecost. The church, the first, listen, the first day of the church's existence, we see the church go from 120 people to over 3,000 folks, because when Peter preaches and the invitation is given, the Bible says that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. So here the church is growing daily, day by day. God is adding to the church. We talked about that last week. Wouldn't it be beautiful if every single day God was adding to the church at Level Plains that somebody every single day was getting saved through the ministry and witness of us. That would be a beautiful thing, wouldn't it? And so here God is adding to the church. Now, as they go up to pray and we have this miracle that takes place, I want you to see four things that are just important in this text and then I'm gonna sort of apply it at the end and then we're gonna go eat lunch. All right? So y'all ready for it? Here we go. The first thing I want you to write down is I want you to see the helpless situation of this man. This man was helpless. Notice how the text reads to us. So Peter and John are going up and they're going to go pray at this ninth hour. And it says that there was a certain, verse two, we don't have his name. We don't know who he is. But there was a certain man who was lame. Now I want you to notice something. He was lame from birth. Now we're told in chapter four, that this guy is about 40 years of age. So for 40 years, this guy has been lame. Now understand that what that means is, is that in the economy of the Jews, that somewhere, somehow, somewhere in the long line, whether it was his parents or whether it was some sin of his own, he's a sinner. Think about that for a minute. Now I know that because if you read over in John chapter 10, the disciples saw a blind man and you know immediately what they said to him? They said, Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus sort of, you can almost hear him chuckling under his breath, said, neither. But this is for the glory of God. And I'm going to tell you something. This lame guy was born lame, been laid at, the, seat, been laid at the, the place that he was laid at every single day. Listen, for the glory of God. You're saying, how does that glorify God? Well, you just hold on to your seat, friend. I'm going to tell you, some of the children that I've ever known that are the happiest Joyous to be around are those who have been born with handicaps. Amen? They they are beautiful children. They are ones who just have this life about them. And they won't let what's happened in their life set them back. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, that's a beautiful thing. But here is this guy who's sitting there and he's lame. And in the economy of the Jews, not only is he, listen, a sinner, but he's unclean. He's outside the temple. He's not inside He's outside. He couldn't go in anyway. And can you imagine every day he's begging for something, some kind of money because he can't have a job, right? He couldn't work if he wanted to. He's lame. He has to be toted everywhere he goes. I mean, folks, we're talking before power chairs. We're talking before wheelchairs, amen? So he has to be toted everywhere he goes. This guy's situation was oppressive. Can you imagine that kind of life? I tell you, I I told you before, in 2006, I fell 16 feet and I almost lost my right foot. And I was laid up for four months. I can only imagine what it would be like to be laid up my whole life. That that would have to be awful to be laid up like that. So he's in an oppressive situation. He's he's now, listen, he's now reduced to begging because he can't own his own living. What a life. What an existence. And so here he is begging for for some kind of money and he doesn't realize that he's on the verge of a life change. Think about this for a minute. Some of you in this room, you listen to me loud and clear. Some of you in this room, you're no different than this beggar. Your life is oppressed. Your life has been lived since the day you were born in a sinful state. We, we call that, listen, we call that depravity. We call that that everybody in this room was born in original sin. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Listen, all of us like this beggar who could not change anything in his life cannot do anything to change our circumstance of sin. Oh, people try. Yeah, I mean, the world can offer all kinds of solutions. And here, this poor beggar is there and he's looking for solutions to his problem through through alms giving. And and, and and it's a good thing to give people money. But listen, money is not going to change your lost situation. Listen, religion, we with the world is offering us all kinds of religion. If you if you listen to anything on the television and radio, you listen to Oprah Winfrey, and she says it doesn't matter what you have. Whatever you believe in is okay because it's all going to stem and lead to God. That's a lie of the devil. You, you listen to Joel, Osteen, he said, you can have your best life now. I'm here to tell you, this is the best life now. My friends, what's heaven? This is not the best life now. Amen? Here's this sinner. Can you imagine Joel Osteen saying, hey, buddy, you can have your best life now. And he'd probably say to him, oh, yeah, really tell me how because I can't even get up and walk. I can't work. People have to tote me everywhere I go. How is this my best life now? Can you imagine he sits there every day thinking, well, one day if I could just get up and walk, my life would be different. Oh, yes, it would be different, but how long would it be different? It would be different maybe one month, two months, three months. See, we all wish for things to be different. Something changes and things are a little different, but guess what? Two, three months down the road, we want something more different. I'm here to tell you there's nothing that the world offers us that's going to rid us of sin. We can wish, wish, wish. But there's only one solution for sin. His name is Jesus Christ. And he paid the ultimate price for your sin on the cross of Calvary. Because he died in your place. You deserve to die there, but he died in your place. And so we are like this beggar. We are like this lame man. We are all born with a disease called sin. Nothing we can do about it. But listen, his life's about to change. I want you to see the text. Notice the text. So they took this certain lame man, they laid him, since he was, he was, he was this way from his mother, and they laid him at the gate called beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple. And who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said to him, now notice, by this time, the beggar is doing what beggars do. He's looking away. He's not looking into the eyes because listen, he realizes he's inferior to them. He is not their equal. He is begging for money. But in the, in the Jewish economy again, listen, in their economy, he realizes he's less than everybody else. He realizes he's not a full human being. And so now he turns his eyes away. And so Peter says, look at us. Look up. And as he begins to look up, Peter says, listen, buddy. I don't have any change in my pocket. I deliberately don't carry any cash in my billfold. So silver and gold, I don't have, but listen, what I do have, what did Peter have? The guy's looking for money. He thinks that's going to solve his problems. <laughs> and what did Peter have? Peter didn't have money. Listen, people talk all the time, about oh, the church was rich. The church had money. And I read one time where one of the popes uh, back in uh, the time of, uh, of Christopher said that um, the, the the church where he was he was showing uh, the church off and looking at all the gold and looking at all the stuff in the Vatican. And, and he said, never again should they say silver and gold I don't have. Listen, it's not about the church having money. It's not about the church being rich. Listen, it's not about that, amen? We're, we're not supposed to have a bunch of money in our checking account so we can say, oh, we got silver and gold. Now it's nice to use our silver and gold for missions. It's good to use our silver and gold to reach people. We got benevolence ministry. Those are nice things to do. But listen, that's not the primary mission of the church. And so what is the primary mission of the church? Well, we see it in Peter. Remember, we already talked about the primary mission of the church is to move in Jesus' name. It's to operate in Jesus' name. It's to bring glory and honor to God. And so what does he do? He says in verse 4, Fix your eyes." He said, Look at us. Verse 5. And so he gave him his attention to expecting to receive something. Then verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. What does he have? He has the authority in Jesus' name. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. <laughs> Look at the glorious thing that happens. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. He had the power of Jesus. Let me tell you something. Peter's life was changed by the power of Jesus, wasn't it? You remember, he, he was the guy who started walking on water. And when he realized the waves were boisterous around him, he began to sink because he got his eyes off of Jesus. You remember, he's the guy that when Jesus is on trial, they said, you're one of them. He said, oh, no, 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 not me, not me, not me. I'm not one of those guys. But he's also the same guy on the day of Pentecost that stood up and he boldly proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ. And he crucified and he risen from the dead and 3,000 souls got saved. And so now we have a different Peter. And so Peter's going up and he says to this guy, listen, buddy, I don't have any money to give you, but what I do have. Now, let's just stop right here because we want to understand something here. We want to understand that this is a miracle, no doubt. And if you've got a problem with miracles, then here's your problem. You don't believe God. Amen? Because if you don't believe miracles, you don't believe God. Because God said at the very beginning, let there be light. And there was light. Listen, there was nothing before that save him and the triune God. There was nothing, absolutely nothing. And he spoke into existence and there was light. There wasn't even a sun yet. There wasn't a sun until fourth day. And so here we have a miracle taking place, no doubt. But notice who did the miracle. This is an apostolic ministry. This is a ministry that's being done by Peter. This is a ministry that always, if you look at the Bible, is done through the apostles. And listen, if you follow the line throughout the scripture, even in the book of Acts, you'll find that miracles of this sort Began to wean off. They weren't the priority. They were no longer the thing that was being focused upon. We're going to sort of finish that up at the end. Why is that the case? But I want you to notice as Peter is talking here, what is Peter really giving him? More than just the ability to walk. Jesus is pointing him to Jesus. What I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, get up. Now, do you think that would change that man's life? Do you think there would be any different in his life by the power of Jesus Christ? Certainly so. Not only would he out have the ability to get up and walk, not only could he go into the, the worship service and enjoy the worship that he grew up hearing about so much but never really participated in, not only could he go out tomorrow and get a job and maybe fend for himself, perhaps maybe find a good-looking young lady and get married one day and have children and have a life of his own, Perhaps those were great things, but let me tell you something. The Bible tells us very clearly that out of those who would get saved in chapter four, he's definitely one of those guys. His life is radically different. Why? Because not only did the power of Jesus touch his physical body, but the more importantly, the power of Jesus cured his sin. Amen? His heart, his soul was radically transformed. I'm gonna tell you, that's the most important part. We focus so much on so many other things, but Peter focused on what was necessary. I'm going to give you what you need. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need him. That's what's most important. And so he found healing. And we're told, by the way, that a healing, salvation, healing can only come by the name of Jesus. And it was boldly, boldly proclaimed in chapter 4, verse 12. There is no, this, is this. there is no other name given among men by which men can be saved. Save what? Jesus Christ. He alone can save. I want you to know something. This miracle brought about a testimony. Notice the text of scripture. Notice the next thing is the praiseworthiness of Jesus' name. And so this guy gets up and he walks and immediately he's healed, by the way. He's immediately healed in verse 8. And so he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and doing what? Praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. God listen everybody knew this dude everybody knew who he was and here he comes in and he's I mean he's leaping I mean it's not just walking in I mean what would you be doing if you for 40 years couldn't do anything like that what would you be doing you know I can see it now somebody oh he's dancing in church Lord help us you know well bless God he just got his legs amen he's able to just finally get up and walk And it happened, a miracle happens, and he comes to know Jesus Christ. And so he goes into the temple, and he's leaping. But listen, all the glory he gives, not to Peter. See, that's the problem. Listen, that's the problem with all these faith healers you see on TV. It's all about them. Buy my scarf, buy my handkerchief, come to my crusades. Listen, I had a, a lady that I knew went to one of those crusades of a guy, and she went there and, she felt like he was talking to her, and so she quit taking some very important medicine she needed to take, and she almost died. And you know what she told me? She said, you know, she said, I know that I didn't have enough faith. And I thought to myself, bless her, Lord. Bless her, Lord. That, that charlatan took her money as an entry fee to come into a concert or to a, a conference and listen, and convinced her that it was her fault she wasn't healed. Let me tell you something, folks. You can have a lot of faith, but sometimes God just ain't going to heal. Amen? You hear me? God doesn't heal everybody. How do I know that? Well, look at the Bible. The Bible says, Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, he said, listen, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Timothy had a little bit of issues with his stomach. And so he said, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. So why, why, why if everybody's healed, did, did God not heal Timothy? Trophanes was, was a friend of Paul that Paul left in Miltus and says he left him there sick. Epaphras, you remember? Epaphras was, he wrote to the church and said, he was on the brink of death. He almost died. There was no healing involved in his life. There's going to be times where God's going to let people die. Amen? We've got to be careful that we don't just think that God's going to heal everybody we pray for or we lay a hand upon. Now, that doesn't always automatically happen. Sometimes, listen, I'm going to tell you, the greatest healing anybody can ever receive is to be in the presence of Jesus. Amen? We act, listen, Christians, we act like heaven is hell. Nobody wants to go there. Amen? But the reality is, it's far better than here. Now I realize I don't want to leave my family. I, I realize that it's something I've never experienced before. But if I believe the Bible, I don't have to be afraid of the experience. Huh? Amen? Can I get an amen? I mean, am I right? You know? And so here, listen, This this guy... Begins to worship and bring glory. That's what it's about. See, when, when something happens and somebody tells you a story, if God's not receiving the glory, let it go in one ear and out the other. Because this is about God's glory. It's not about ours. It's not about some charlatan preacher. It wasn't about Peter and John. It's about God. We wish we had time to rest, read through the rest of the chapter. We don't, but, but I want to get to the last point. And here's the last point. The last point is found in verse 10, and that's the testimony. Notice, then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You see the testimony? The testimony that he has is God did this, and I'm going to tell you what exactly is going to happen, and here's what God does. God allowed a miracle like this to happen for his glory and also for the, listen, the preaching of the gospel. If you begin to read the rest of the chapter, you'll find that Peter has an opportunity to preach the second greatest message ever preached in the Bible. And he stands up and he begins to preach, especially looking at verses 12 through verse 18. He preaches Christ and he crucified and him risen from the dead, glorified by the father, promised by the prophets. And listen, then verse 19, he gives the invitation and he says, repent and be converted. Repent and be converted. Listen, he says then, listen, this Jesus who died on the cross of Calvary, witnessed to by God by signs and wonders and these miracles that you see, this Jesus you denied, you killed, he was put there by your ignorance into the tomb. But listen, God raised him up. God has seated him in his right hand and he's glorified. And what you need to do in response is repent. If you're here this morning and you're like the lame guy, listen, and you're lost in your sin, you have not been saved from death. You've not repented of your sin and invited Jesus Christ to be Savior. I'm gonna tell you, it's the only thing that'll cure you. It's the only thing that'll save you this morning. Don't, don't start begging for other things. Don't start asking for other things. Don't start trying other things because they'll fall short every single time. Only Jesus can save. Christian, can I ask you that the greatest testimony that you have is what Jesus has done in your life, Amen. And listen, what he's doing currently in your life. See, many of us can talk about 20 years ago, 30 years ago when we got saved, but we can't really talk about what God is doing today. That's a shame, isn't it? Because the Christian life ought to be a continual growth pattern. We ought to always be growing. Now I know there's times in our life we're gonna go backward a little bit. (laughs) That happens to all of us, even preachers. But it should be a continual growth in our life. We should always be growing closer to be more like Jesus. And that's our testimony. What is he doing in your life? How are you responding? Listen, witnesses, why, why the miracles? John 20, we'll put them on the screen. Write these two verses down. Why miracles? And truly Jesus did many other signs. John writing, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. John writing his testimony, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The miracle was about preaching the gospel. The miracle was about the one who did it, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2 says, "...shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And God, listen, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles." and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. What was God doing? He's establishing his church. He's growing his church. And through his apostles, through his leaders, he does this great miracle in order for the saving of the souls. And by the way, if you read down in chapter four, or yeah, chapter four, verse four, you'll find out that the number of the church on that day, listen, this is is incredible. You ready for this? The number of the church that day went from 30 something hundred people to over 5,000 because of a miracle. Not just because of the miracle, listen, but because the miracle led to a message of the gospel that led, listen, to souls being saved. Because listen, folks can't get saved without the gospel. I'm sorry, do what you want. You can minister to them. And listen, I'm seeing a lot of stuff on Facebook about people going down into Florida and ministering. And that's awesome and that's great. We ought to be doing that. Listen, we as a church should take up that mantle and go help our neighbors down the road. And we did that. We took up water and some batteries. And we delivered them on Friday. And so we ought to be doing things like that. But listen to me, listen to me. Without taking the gospel too, we've not done our full part because we're not called just to go and minister socially to people. We're called to take them the gospel. And the social ministry of taking water and batteries and things of that nature is just the avenue by which we open the door to share the gospel. Amen? That's the full effect. That's what we ought to be doing. So does God still heal today? Some people are asking those questions sitting in the pew today. Can I just tell you, yes, he does. We're never told God stops healing. Amen? So praise God, he continues to heal. Should, should miracles like this be the norm of the church today? Certainly not. We don't see it. We don't see it in the rest of the Bible. What we see is if we're sick, call the elders of the church, let them pray on him, pray over him and anoint him. And we see that, we're command. So what does God do? God oftentimes heals through prayer. Sometimes God heals miraculously because he is a healing God. So it's not necessarily the norm. So we can't say a church. Well, that's not happening, so we're not a normal church. Well, we don't have it recorded in Ephesus. We don't have it recorded in Colossae. We don't have it recorded through the Corinthians. We don't see that being a highlight of the ministry. What we find the highlight of the ministry is, are we discipling people? Are we becoming more like Jesus? That's what we ought to become like. So what do we learn? What, what do we learn about this from... The church's perspective, not just about miracles, but from a church perspective, what do we learn? Well, even though we'll have the poor with us always, and we ought to be benevolent, and we ought to love on people, and we ought to share what we have with folks. Listen, that's not our primary mission. Our primary mission is not the miracles. The primary mission is the gospel. And I wanted to remind you of that this morning because it's so easy to forget that because listen, we often find that to be the hardest part. It's sort of easy to give money in an offering. It's easy to give money to somebody at a gas pump. It's easy to to help folks with food. It's easy to do those things. The hardest thing is to share the gospel. I don't know why we make it hard because it's so simple. It's what Jesus has done in your life. It's he, He died on the cross of Calvary and he bore your sin in his own flesh. The Bible talks about he died and was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead in bodily form and he did that for the salvation of men and there's nothing anybody has to do other than repent and be converted, receive Christ, amen, and he'll be saved. That's the gospel and that's our primary mission and that's what we're called to do even in the midst of all these other things that's going on in the church of Acts, the gospel stays primary Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.